Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. There's a Peanuts comic strip where we find Snoopy thinking to himself. He said, yesterday I was a dog. Today I'm a dog. Tomorrow I'll probably still be a dog. Oh, there's so little hope for advancement. Anybody feel that way sometimes? Today I want to speak on this thought, my living hope. My living hope. He had heard the stir. He heard the conversations as people walked by his boat as he fixed his nets after a long day of fishing. He heard what they said. There was a man that was creating a a stir in the area. He had heard about some interesting things that he was saying, and more specifically, things that he was doing. This man was healing those who were crippled and those who were broken, and even casting out someone who had demon possession. And as he sees this man coming down his way, this mysterious and interesting and influential man doesn't just walk by him, but he climbs into his boat. Now, nothing crosses a line like another person walking and stepping in somebody else's boat. Reminds me of the, the story of time, I, I think, Tony, maybe it was you who were telling me this story, guy fishing in the boat, and I think maybe you and Anthony got a little too close to the guy fishing in the boat. I'm going to make up this story. It's good. <laughs> Am I right so far? Close. All right. So as they get closer... Man says, as he's fishing, it's a big lake. It's a big lake. Nothing crosses the line like getting a little too close to someone's boat, let alone climbing in the boat. This man commandeered this boat and asked if he would take him out a little ways because the people had come to hear him. And to see him and to hear what he has to say. And so, although Simon, Peter, under normal circumstances, would not have just let somebody get in his boat, something about this man arrests his instincts. And after Jesus had finished his teaching session... He says to Simon Peter, hey, why don't you put down and 
put your nets back down into the deep and go for some more fish. And I could imagine Peter's wheels spinning a little bit. He's being respectful. He's intrigued by this man. He's not sure who exactly he is, but he says, Master, we have toiled all night, and we've taken nothing. But at your word, I'll let down these nets. And when he does, many of you are familiar with what happens. He begins to catch a large number of fish, so much so that the nets began to break. And so, the scripture tells us that his partners, his fishing buddies, all come near, just like good fishing buddies do. When somebody starts catching, everybody comes over. And they came over, and they started filling their boats with the fish. But when Peter saw it, scripture says, he fell down at Jesus' knees, and he says, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. Something was different about this man. Something spoke of a divine nature to him. And when he came near this experience, there was something in his heart that says, I'm not worthy to be near you. I'm a sinful man. And so in this moment of vulnerability, In improbable meekness from Peter, Jesus extends an invitation. And he says to Peter and those that were with him, follow me. Follow me. Immediately, the scripture says, they left their nets and they followed him. Scriptures seem to indicate that Peter was the first disciple that Jesus picked out. And it would be an amazing time in Peter's life walking with Christ, walking behind him as he healed people where he went, walking beside him and witnessing with his own eyes as he took five loaves of bread and two fish and he just began to break it till it multiplied and fed over 4,000 or 5,000 people. He stood there and watched as Jesus cast out demons and those who were afflicted by the demoniacs and he, or demons. He, he looked and he saw and he watched as Jesus spoke to those who were blind, those who were lame, those who were sick, those who seemed to be dead. He watched and he saw and he witnessed the healings that Jesus performed. And then there were some things that only Peter, James, and John got to witness. They got to be caught up into a mountain and watch as Jesus was transfigured. It must have been an amazing moment. Yet still, there were some things that only Peter got to do. It was Peter who, as they were on that boat and in the middle of that storm, when Jesus appeared out of nowhere and Jesus said, come to me, and it was Peter who stepped out of the boat and began to walk on water. 
This was no ordinary calling. This was no ordinary experience. And scriptures tends to tell us that Peter became a leader even among this group of disciples. He seemed to be on the leading edge and in the middle of all the action. Even on one day, Jesus asked all the disciples a question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? And all the disciples stood around. But there was one who was quickened. There was one who had the light bulb turned on. And it was Simon Peter. And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're not just some ordinary man, but you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What a moment, what an experience for Peter to have where all of a sudden he became so enlightened that Jesus would say to him, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I would guess if Jesus pronounced that over me, I might walk a little bit differently that day. I I know everybody's trying to be humble in the moment, but there's one that stood out from the rest. I'm going to build my church on this revelation, Peter. And I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. I can just see Peter just walking with the rest of them. I don't mean nothing by it. I'm just saying, just saying. Some of you know right right where I'm at. You've been there. The boss said something nice about you in front of everybody and you just, just walking out. Finally, somebody gets it. Somebody understands. Somebody gets it. After a unique Passover celebration in which Jesus seemed to act somber, he spoke of somebody betraying him. They sang a hymn, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And that one who seems to be enlightened, 
That one who always seems to have the answer for everything. Even though they will fall away. Nope. I will not. Put the brakes on the silly talk, Jesus. I know we got a bunch of rough people here. I know you didn't pick the best. But I'm telling you, they're all going to deny you, but not me. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, where the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. <laughs> Jesus, you're not getting it. If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And then everybody's like, me too, Jesus, me too. What are you saying? But it's Peter, the strong one. Remember, he starts off with such a humble, I'm a sinful man. I'm not going to deny you, Jesus. And after going to the Garden of Gethsemane and seeing Jesus agonized, Peter, James, and John were drawn closer to Jesus, but they fell asleep while he prayed. And they're startled and they're awakened as they see torches and horses and Roman soldiers break the calm of the night. And even in this moment, he still understands what he's trying to do. And he's going to defend Jesus. And he takes out his sword and he tries to cut the head off of one of the soldier's servants and it hits his ear instead. Peter could not figure out what was going on. Could not stop them from taking Jesus like he wanted. And so the scripture records that from a distance... From a distance, he begins to follow the processional. His mind is trying to make sense. Because he had it in his mind how things were going to be. How this was all going to work out in the end. He knows from firsthand experience the power that Jesus possesses. He knows he has witnessed Jesus escape those trying to kill him. He has seen Jesus cast out evil. This is not making sense. He watches as they lead him to the house of the high priest Caiaphas. And there a crowd had gathered. It's almost like the people knew this was going to happen. Peter tries to blend in with everyone And he gets up next to a fire to listen to what is being said. And as Peter was in that courtyard, a servant girl comes up to him. She sees Peter by the fire. And she looks at him and says, you were also there with 
that Nazarene Jesus. Peter, trying to listen in, says, no, no, I, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. The servant girl saw him and began to say to the bystanders, she's not even talking to Peter. This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. No, no, I'm not. And after a little while, the bystanders said to Peter, those gathered around, certainly you are the one, you are a Galilean. But then Peter snapped. He said, the scripture tells us he began to invoke a curse on them and began to swear, I do not know this man whom you speak. Moments earlier, he had tried to cut off the ear of somebody arresting Jesus to now completely denying him at all. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said, before the rooster grows twice, you will deny me three times. And something crumbled inside of him. What he was so confident in, what he thought of himself, everything that he had been standing for for the last three and a half years came crumbling down. And the scripture says in Luke that Jesus looked at him. Can you imagine the look? And he remembered the words of Jesus and he broke down and he wept bitterly. His crushing weight, the one who was chosen first, the one who had the revelation of who Jesus was, the one who stood boldly and declared, I will never deny you, has denied him in such a pitiful way. So Peter could do nothing now. Jesus would be led away, beaten, hung to a cross, and would die. And as much detail as we have about Peter during the crucifixion and leading up to the crucifixion, as much de detail given about his whereabouts in many other passages, and as much detail as we are given about other disciples who were close to Jesus during the crucifixion, it is not insignificant that nothing is mentioned about where Peter is while Jesus hung on the cross. I have no doubt that Peter was in a dark place mentally, if not physically. He had left behind everything, his career, and his reputation to follow this man. He had experienced Jesus' calling, his kindness, his love, his authority, his miracles. He had seen him transfigured. He had even expressed a revelation. But when Jesus needed him the most, Peter had denied him. 
Peter had thrown it away, forsaken him and rejected him. Peter's boisterous proclamation and declaration of loyalty melted so easily by the simple question of the least in all of society, a servant girl. His faith was a house of cards. The excitement and passion felt when Jesus said, follow me, was a distant memory with no more hope of a future. Lost and gone. The crowd surged and other disciples watched. Jesus hung suspended between heaven and earth and it was finished. Jesus breathed out one final breath in that living hope. Perished. That living hope was defiled by evil. That living hope faded away. As we sang this morning... We know that's not the end of the story. The scripture tells us that Mary Magdalene and a few others came to the tomb on as the Sabbath had passed. And very early on that first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They get there and they're wondering how are we going to be able to get in to anoint his body to help him. Looking up as they came down the path, they see that the stone is already rolled away. And they entered the tomb and they saw a young man sitting on the right side of that tomb and he was dressed in a white robe. They became afraid as you would if you saw somebody you weren't expecting. This man said, do not be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. You're more than welcome to come in and see where they had put him, but he is not here. But go and tell his disciples and... Peter. This is not a general announcement. Tell the disciples, and I want you to specifically go find Peter and tell him that Jesus is not here. And so the scripture tells us that she ran and she went to Simon Peter in John 20, verse 2. And the other disciples and the one whom Jesus loved, who was John, and says they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. She's still not understanding that Jesus has been resurrected. She's just saying he's not there. So Peter and John get in a foot race and they're going to run to that tomb and they run as fast as they can. But somehow John was a little faster that day. And John gets to the tomb before Peter. But I don't know if John was scared. I don't know why. But the scripture tells us very clearly that John did not go in. He got there first, but he did not go in. 
But in true Peter fashion, I'm going in. I don't care. I want to see, see this for myself. And so Peter came falling. They went into the tomb. He went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths laying there in the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not laying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. In other words, some of that could be mistaken as just the wind blowing or some kind of chaos. But when something is folded, you know somebody did it with intention. And so Peter, something begins to happen in Peter's heart. Something is happening here. They're still not putting all the dots together. And so Jesus began to appear to them. And here's where I draw our attention today. Seems that while Peter understands that Jesus has risen, Jesus has come out of the tomb, Peter does not know where he stands with Jesus. He's wrestling with this idea of Yes, Jesus rose from the grave. Great. But don't you remember before he died what I did? I denied him. And while he was happy, no doubt, uh, that he had resurrected it, he could not understand how that would impact his life. And so John 21, 3 tells us that Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. He comes back to this. I don't have anything left. What I was called to do, what I was pulled out by Jesus to do is gone now. I denied him. I know exactly how this script is written. He said, and I'm just going to go fishing. And of course, the other disciples, I'm going to. That's usually how it goes in fishing, just in case you wanted to know. Somebody says, I'm going fishing. Everybody else follows. And so they went out, they got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. He had taken it off and he threw himself into the sea and he clamored to get to where Jesus was. And the other, the other disciples came to the boat. They were dragging the net full of fish. Peter wanted nothing to do with that. It could have been an excuse. Maybe he jumped out of the boat so he didn't have to deal with the fish. I'm not sure. But I think it was ex he was excited because it was the Lord. The others came. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of that fish that you've caught. And Simon went aboard and hauled the net, and it was full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. See, the first time this happened when Jesus called him, the net was torn. 
The net wasn't torn, and Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. But none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? (laughs) They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. And it seems that Peter is excited to see Jesus. But it seems that he is uncertain about where he stood with Jesus. He is happy to see someone who he thought was dead. But now has a reunion with them. He was excited to have this opportunity to see this great person in his life. But was this just a reunion or was this something more? And I suppose that Easter can be that for many. It can be a reunion of sorts. It can be a revisiting of something you once knew. It can be a revisiting of something you once enjoyed. But maybe you're like Peter today and you're not sure where you stand Peter is standing there, excited to see Jesus, but again, he knows the last time he saw Jesus. And the scripture says that Jesus then singles Peter out. And he says, when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he He said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Peter must have thought it was great to know him. It was great to be called by him. It was great to walk with him. But I failed him. I walked away from him. I rejected him. And I know I experienced him after he was resurrected. I know he has let me see him again. I know he has let me eat with him again. But it's not the same. It's not going to be the same. Like the Peanuts comic strip, Peter must have thought to himself, yesterday I was a sinner. Today I'm a sinner. Tomorrow I'll probably still be a sinner. Then Jesus began to uncover layers of Peter's shame. He tells him, try casting your net on the other side. I wonder if Peter thought, wait, I've heard that before. When I was in the Sea of Galilee, he jumped into my boat and told me to cast into the deep. And then Jesus said, here is some bread and some fish. Peter probably remembered the five loaves and the two fishes that Jesus had turned into a feast. And there is a fire. And the last time I stood around a fire was with Jesus in view. And I denied him. But yet there's a fire. 
And Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Once would have been enough. Twice was persistent. But three times, Peter's heart broke. He is back around the fire in the courtyard at Caiaphas' house, listening as they accuse and mock and hit Jesus. But it's not this time to accuse him or for him to deny. Jesus gives him three opportunities to confess his love. And he says, do you love me? It's in this moment that Peter suddenly has a resurrection of hope. There's something that is happening here. And Jesus says to him, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. He was telling Peter, listen, your calling's not over. My story with you is not over. What I want to do with you is is not over. I'll walk you everything to show you that I'm still the hope that you had when you first started. I am your living hope. And so after saying this to him, can you imagine what it felt like when Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Full circle. I know you denied me. I know you've rejected me. I know you've pushed against me. But my story is not finished uh, with you. Uh, My ideas for you and my plan for you and my anointing for you is not uh, over. And herein we see a very powerful truth as I hasten to close. Peter got a very clear revelation. A revelation that only came because of the resurrection. Hear me now. This revelation only came because of the resurrection. The revelation was not just that Jesus was no longer in the tomb. But more powerfully, the resurrection pointed Peter to something he never thought he would see again. A living hope. A hope that would bring the mercy of God. All the self-hatred, all the shame, all the guilt was reborn into a living hope. Everyone say a living hope. So when Peter would begin to pen his first letter to the church... He would reflect on that day, a reflection that thunders to us today. And he said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter had a very front seat understanding, not just of the miracles of God, not just of the power of God, but Peter had a front seat to the mercy of God. And he says that God is great in mercy. And so according to his great mercy, he said, he has caused us to be born again. 
Peter stood around that fire that day and he was reborn of sorts. He was renewed because he understood that God wasn't done with him. And so he was able to stand on the day of Pentecost and preach that message, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you all shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In other words, you all can be born again. Born again to what? A living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter says this, as you stand with me today, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. I love this idea. He says you're born again because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says there's an inheritance for you that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. In other words, it's an inheritance that is untouched by death, unstained by evil, and unimpaired by time. And our salvation and new birth because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is death-proof, it's sin-proof, and it's time-proof. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the testing, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Then he adds this. Though you have not seen him, I've seen him, but you haven't seen him, but yet you love him. Though you do not know, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith. What is the outcome of your faith? The salvation of your souls. In 2017, a self-made millionaire, Eugene Land, died at 98 years old. Mr. Land was a great businessman, but was best known for giving hope. In June of 1981, when he was invited to deliver a commencement address to 61 sixth graders at the public school, 121, he made an impulsive gesture. He said, I looked out at the audience wondering what to say to them. He had intended to tell them, their families and their teachers, that he had attended this same school. He, like them, had attended this school more than a half century earlier. And that he had worked hard. He grew up 
He's an immigrant. He worked hard and he made a lot of money. And that if they worked hard, maybe they could be successful too. That's what he wanted to say to them. But he said that seemed too irrelevant. And so scrapping his notes in that June day in 1981, he began to speak from his heart. And he said, stay in school. And he said, if you do, I'll help pay the college tuition for every one of you. At that moment, the lives of those students changed. Not because something changed physically or tangibly. What changed? Hope entered the room. For the first time, they could see a future. For the first time, they could see something that they thought was unattainable. And one student said, I had something to look forward to. Something waiting for me. And it was a golden feeling. Land said, when I made the original promise, the principal told me that maybe one or two students would take advantage of my offer. 90% of that class went on to graduate from high school and over half of them graduated from college. It was their living hope. It was a living hope. And what propelled Peter on that day what propelled him on that day when he was just fishing and Jesus commandeered his boat? It was a living hope. As he walked with Jesus, it was hope of what Jesus would bring. But when all of that was shattered, all of that was brought down, Jesus came back into the picture and said, my hope is not gone. And I tell somebody today, you're here. I don't, I don't know what's brought you here entirely. But I want you to know that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and only because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ do we have a living hope. We have a hope for a future. We have a hope for an inheritance that is imperishable. That's unfading. It's undefiled. It's a hope that moves us to walk through dark times and not give up. Peter said, you'll walk through various trials, but if you'll walk through it, you'll come out like pure gold. And Peter was talking from his own experience, his own opportunity to find living hope. And today I pray for this congregation. I pray for you today. Do you have hope in your future? Do you have hope in the eternal and if not, I'm telling you today that no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've walked from God, no matter how many times you've denied him and pushed him away, there's a God who is rich in mercy, a God who delights in mercy. I want to pray for you today. I'm going to invite you in just a moment to come, but I want to pray for you. Lord, right now, I thank you. I thank you, God, for the mercy that's full in this room. There are many in this room like Simon who have rejected you, but they found mercy because of the resurrection. 
they found mercy in the waters of baptism. God, and I pray if there's someone here today who has not experienced the power of repentance and the power of baptism that brings forgiveness of sins and brings us into a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray today, I pray today that someone would make that decision today on Easter Sunday to be baptized in your name to take advantage of the power of the resurrection. Lord, there are those who need the power of the Holy Ghost in their life. They need your spirit to to fill them, Lord. And I pray today that someone would surrender to your work today. God, we love you. We praise you because you are our living hope. You are our living hope. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.